Welcome to Helping Kids Be Kids, a little Lighthouse production. Today we are diving into our archive and pulling out one of our most listened to episodes, Helping Your Child Navigate Feeding Problems. In this episode, Lauren Gebhard and Rhonda Marfachuk, both SLPs, share their professional advice to face problem feeding. Lauren adds a personal glimpse into her journey of helping her own son navigate his own feeding problems. This episode has been listened to over 350 times. That's almost someone listening to this episode every single day. Lauren and Rhonda give some really great advice in this episode to help you look at problem feeding from a different perspective. Don't forget, we are coming back with new episodes August 9th, and be sure to subscribe to Helping Kids Be Kids on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I think that's enough for me. Let's get to learning how to help your child navigate feeding problems. Welcome to Helping Kids Be Kids, the Little Lighthouse podcast, where we are passionate about helping parents to be confident caregivers for their kids with special needs. With me in the studio today, I have... Hi, I'm Lauren Gebhard. I am a speech language pathologist at the Little Lighthouse and a mom of three. So I am in the trenches and have had a lot of experience with what we're going to talk about today. So I'm excited to be here with you. So glad to learn from you. Um, I'm Rhonda Marfachuk. I'm a clinical assistant professor at the University of Tulsa, and um, I have an interest in working with kids that have feeding disorders. Yes. Okay. So why don't you guys introduce our topic and tell us how you met each other. Okay. So today we're going to focus on feeding, particularly problem feeders. There's a difference between problem feeders and picky eaters, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Well, Lauren, one of the reasons I really wanted you to come and address this is because of your son, mm-hmm. Graham. Tell us about the journey you've been on <sighs> as a mom with yeah. a child who struggles to eat. So Graham is, he'll be five in July. I still vividly remember the first bite of food that I ever offered to him. I still remember it like it was yesterday. I remember where he was sitting. I remember what I was, the spoon we were using. Hmm. I remember, I can like smell the the oatmeal that I was giving him. And I had been in the field for a couple years at this point when I, when I was giving, you know, getting ready to give Graham his first bite of food. And I didn't come in feeling you know, overly, overly confident, but Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I knew kind of the, the plan and the trajectory that I, you know, we were going to go on with this feeding journey. And I was excited and that was kind of all I thought. I wasn't, you know, nervous. And I remember putting the oatmeal on the spoon and, and, you know, bringing it to Graham's mouth. And the reaction he had was just one of like utter disgust. And I just thought, well, that didn't go very well, you know, and that was the first bite. And and so I was like, okay, well, that was the first bite. I mean, you know, that's what – so we're, we'll do it again. So same thing, you know, put the oatmeal on the spoon, bring it to his mouth, kind of like to the side now with a like fun little airplane game. Right? And he would not – I mean, he leaned as far away from the spoon <gasps> as he possibly could. And I thought, what? <gasps> Kids are supposed to – this is fun. Eating right. should be fun. You know, this has got to be better than milk. And, you know, and I thought it, you know, to myself, it's it's a little different. You know, okay, I'm going to give it some time. But I walked away from that experience just being discouraged. And it, 
from an experience that should have been fun and exciting and one that I wanted to document. I remember going back and looking at the pictures and videos like, well, this is not what I wanted his first ex- feeding experience to yeah. be like. And and since then, fast forward, you know, to where we are now, almost five, four and a half years later, and we're still um, every feeding experience he has um, still comes with some trials and they've gotten easier and we've learned how to work through them together. We've been in therapy. We've, you know, he's been a recipient of food Mm. school, a participant in food school at Little Lighthouse. That was kind of, he was kind of one of the reasons we, you know, Mm. started doing this because we knew if he was having issues, you know, all of his, so many of his friends were needing support in this area. And something that we found cool at Little Lighthouse Food School with TU was Graham was able to verbalize all these things that he was struggling oh, with. Wow. That we assume all of these kids who are having hmm. these issues, these feeding issues, are probably going through too in some degree. Wow, what it's, an incredible yeah. g- glimpse into that it's world. It's all gonna look different and everyone yeah. has a feeding, you know, different part of the, you know, maybe body that doesn't work correctly or, you know, there's feeding looks so different because there are so many kids. And so everyone's different. But it was really neat to like see him and hear him internalize and say, this is what I'm struggling with. So he was a really valuable part of starting food school for us. Um, But it's a journey and one that I'm excited to share more about with because we have had so many successful moments. And um, I know that these issues can get better. So I'm excited to help others have that same hope. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's dive in. Rhonda, why don't you kind of frame this for us um, from your clinical perspective? What is the difference between picky eating and problem eating? And and how can we kind of lay a, a framework to begin approaching looking for solutions? Well, the first thing is that kids will have a food aversion. Those are going to be that refusal or they're going to not want to try certain Mm -hmm. kinds of foods. Mm -hmm. They're going to have preferred foods that they want. Picky eaters are going to be those kids who um, have those aversions, but it's more developmental. A lot of kids will do that. Mm -hmm. Where when you have a problem feeder, then the the problems are more severe. Mm -hmm. They're going to um, maybe lead to health problems, maybe lead to poor nutrition. They're going to be the kids that... um, may have a medical problem or may not have a medical problem, may be sensory-based, but they're going to have some sort of a food aversion that picky, that's just a little bit more severe than a picky eater. So we're going to focus today on the more severe cases. Yeah. Tell us, where do you go from there once you've identified that a child has that? Well, these are going to be the kids that you're going to see vomiting. They're going to frequently vomit. They're going to maybe even have failure to thrive. They might be the kids that gag when -hmm. you present new foods. I know that we were at food school last spring, and we just had a food out on the table, and you could visibly see one of the children start gagging. Mm. And it wasn't even near him. So uh, it can be even just a presentation of the food being in the room. That, that can cause them to gag. They're going to be people who um, might insist on a specific brand. Okay. So they go to McDonald's and they see a chicken nugget, the only chicken <laughs> nugget. This is Graham. Lauren's this smiling. is Graham. <laughs> the only chicken nugget that they'll eat is 
the McDonald's oh, chicken nugget. Okay. They won't eat one from McDonald's or from Chick-fil-A. Wendy's or Chick-fil-A. They'll only eat that one. These are going to be kids that really have poor identification of hunger and thirst. They really can't oh. identify for themselves. They're going to take um, really, really long time to eat, like 45 minutes to try to eat mm-hmm. something. They may gag at smells. They may gag at presentations. They may gag because of the textures. Mm-hmm. So those are the kids that we're thinking about as problem feeders. Wow. And there's, okay. a, there's a great resource that I always like to give to parents. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not quite sure, does my child fall into this picky eater or problem feeder category? Like, where are they? Um, and there's a great website called Feeding Matters, and they have a great questionnaire there that's really okay. good at helping identify is this a really a red flag or is my kiddo just going through a maybe a developmental time where they're not eating as much or not eating the variety of foods that they used to be eating? So um, that or talking to your teacher or therapist to kind of understand like, are we talking about one of these kids that Rhonda Mm -hmm. was describing or is my kiddo just going through a phase that maybe they'll Mm -hmm. kind of move through on their own Mm -hmm. um, with appropriate parent modeling and Uh, but may not need like extensive therapy like Graham has received. Yes. So So what does that therapy look like? It's been a huge learning uh, process for going on this journey with Graham. I've appreciated it in so much because it's made me a much better parent in the fact Mm -hmm. that I have so much more empathy for something that, you know, I just think this is so easy. I, when I'm going to eat, I decide what I'm going to eat. I sit down on the table and I eat. Mm -hmm. It's not that way for Graham. And so with therapy in food school or in, you know, we, his outside uh, food therapy, outside food school, it's really a time where we just, we're not necessarily trying to, you know, say we put a, a Teddy Graham on the table. It's not about, yes, we want him to like interact with that Teddy Graham and eventually mm-hmm. eat it, but we're trying to teach those coping skills to mm-hmm. learn about that food, mm-hmm. um, whether that's by, you know, we, we use all his senses, whether he's learning about it by looking at it, whether he's learning about it by touching it, whether he's mm. smelling it, whether he's, you know, going to bring it to his mouth and, and taste it. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about that food. We talk about the properties of that food, what it looks like, what it smells like, you know, what shape is it? What size is it? What color mm-hmm. is it? We talk about everything in a really positive way. And our hope is that he learns to, to be okay with that food for one, like Rhonda said, being in front of him, mm-hmm. maybe being near him, maybe being in his hand. Mm-hmm. And we, he learns those coping skills with these certain foods so that when he's in a real-time meal, you know, when he's at lunch with friends, that he can use those same skills mm-hmm. on any food that's presented to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the therapist is so good. And what I've had to learn um, to do is really watch the kiddos' bodies and watch their, you know, their breathing and their body language and their their positioning. You know, if a kiddo's jumping up and getting out of his chair, it's not because he's trying to be bad. It's right. because he's nervous about what's in front of him and he doesn't have those coping skills. So um, it's a lot of um, exposure and just uh, helping the kiddos to work through their you know, aversions, like Rhonda said, and if we need to back up, we back up Mm -hmm. and we kind of let the kid tell us, you know, when we can move forward too. So uh, with that kind of therapy, Graham's made great strides for some things, you know, that he wasn't even okay with being on the table. 
um, or in the same room with him, mm-hmm. now he's eating, you know. Wow. Um, but it hasn't, it's not an overnight, it's not a quick fix. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, patience and love and positivity around food um, and yeah. the language we're using. I try to think of that as like a sensory, there's three parts, sensory, like oral motor, okay, or um, like learned experience and like uh, what came first, chicken or the egg, you don't know. Like with Graham, I think it was a sensory thing that he didn't like. I don't think he liked or knew what to do with that texture of the oatmeal in his mouth. Therefore, and he had a lot of experiences like that. And because he had these sensory limitations. He didn't have an experience with all of these, with a lot of foods. Therefore, his oral motor, he didn't like, well, I didn't give him steak. So he didn't learn how to chew that harder food. Uh Therefore, he, you know, maybe his oral motor and his sensory experiences and his learned experiences are combined. And now we have this problem. Okay. Yeah. Some of these kids also develop a lot of anxiety around food because- Mm -hmm. Not necessarily Graham, but Graham didn't like the taste of that food. And so every time he gets another food, he doesn't know if it's going to be the same Uh. or if it's going to be different. And so when something different is presented, then those kids can have a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety that goes along with feeding disorders. So it's not a behavior. That makes sense. It's a fear or or that aversion is real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important to realize that aversion is real and you know, they don't choose this. Mm. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't choose to, I mean, eating's supposed to be fun, you know, eating's supposed to be enjoyable and they don't choose for it not to be. It's just, it's something in their body that is not working the same way your body or my body mm-hmm. is working. And that's what we need to figure out. And that's what we need to help them problem solve through. And eating is not just, oh, here, you take mm-hmm. the food, you put it in your mouth. There can be as many as 25 steps to that process, as Lauren was talking about the presentation, the smell, you know, having it on the table, getting it closer to you, touching your body, getting it close to your mouth, putting it in your mouth, tasting it. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. just, there's so many steps to just one food that we all think, oh, you just pick it up, put it in your mouth and chew it. And with our kids at Little Lighthouse, I would say there could be even more than that. You know, it's, they, I've heard stories before of kiddos who they had to keep all their food in their garage because just like the smell oh. or the just the knowledge of that food being in, in the kitchen or in the pantry was, was too much. And so that's a huge barrier in itself. So our kids at the Little Lighthouse who their sensory systems are already functioning very differently, mm-hmm. you know, or their learned experiences are already, you know, negative there could be even more than that. It's definitely not just you sit down, you pick up your food you and you eat it yeah. for these kids. Yeah. So it sounds like um, we they're not eating. They have reasons for not eating certain foods, um, but we want to intervene. We want to help them overcome that hurdle. What are the reasons that it's really important to address this and help our kids to widen their um, tolerance for food? say nutrition yeah. mm-hmm. and overall health is really important that you want our kids to have the right calories, you want them to have the right foods, and you want to keep that all balanced so that we don't have failure to thrive or we don't have kids that who have pal- who have poor nutrition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember taking to 
Graham to the doctor and just holding my breath, you know, because I knew they'd ask about what he was eating. Mm. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to report a lot of foods that had nutrition uh, or, you know, every food has nutrition, <laughs> but foods that were going to be those foods that are looked at to like help him grow and help him right. be strong and help his, you know, brain be, you know, functioning, you know, like sugar. That's not helpful, but, <sighs> you know, protein. Yeah. I wasn't going to be able to give him a lot of foods like that. And I remember just holding my breath and, you know, by the grace of God, he continued growing and developing and he's a, you know, smart mm. little kid who, yes, you know, is. loves to learn and is, you know, so I'm so thankful. And I, I, you know, truly every night when I lay my head down on the pillow, I thank God for, you know, his growth despite these struggles that we've had. But I yeah. know that's not everyone's story. Yeah. And so, yeah, for that nutrition, um, it's so important. Um, and I think, too, just how, you know, so many times our, our plans with, you know, people we know and love involve food. And yeah, it's very social. Very. It's a cultural you know, norm that we gather and we eat. And a lot of times at parties were, you know, in the kitchen and, and to have a kiddo who has these fears around food, you know, that's isolating. Mm. And, you know, Graham, you know, would get really anxious when we were going over to someone's house for dinner. And I would as well, because I want him to be polite and I want him to eat what's, you know, being served. And I knew that wasn't the case. I, you know, would usually like feed him a little bit before we left so that I knew he would eat something and then, you know, co be coaching my two-year-old on how to politely refuse foods. And mm. and it was always an awkward experience. So I think, too, just for that socially, for them to be almost socially accepted um, wow. is is important, too. Wow. So it sounds like we have to really put our child first and see the whole big picture and help them to succeed, not just get narrow-minded on trying to resolve this one issue, but care for their hearts and help them um, emotionally, socially. And I think it's important too for people who, for just people like you and me to realize that that these kids, you know, to kind of reframe the way we're thinking about feeding because... I, you know, I'm constantly trying to, you know, advocate and tell people, you know, Graham isn't choosing this and these kids at the lighthouse, they're not choosing this. And, but I think our culture and our society has just, you know, will say things like, well, if they're hungry, they'll eat, right? So just, just put them to bed and without dinner and tomorrow morning, if they're hungry enough, like they'll eat that. And that's really not true. That's really not true. Um, I, there's a really good analogy that I was told, and it's always stuck with me. Um, and that that is, say you were told that your that your loved one, you had a loved one whose life was in danger, and the only you the all you had to do was to help them was to to get on an airplane and fly that airplane to them and to save them, and that's all you had to do, and they would they would be fine. So you would obviously have this will and this desire to get there and to help this person um, that you love. But in my case, I don't know how to fly an airplane, right? So these kids, they may be hungry. Uh, they may have a will. They may have a desire to eat mm. and to feel full and to please you because you're asking them to eat and um, to be polite. Mm. But they don't know how to fly that airplane. They don't know how to eat that food. Whether and whatever, or they don't, yeah. their body 
isn't comfortable eating that food or it doesn't feel good to them or it hurts them. Yes. Or they their, you know, mouth doesn't have the muscles to bite down and chew that food. So they may want to they may want to save that person. They may yeah. want to eat that food, but they just can't fly that plane. So okay. that's always stuck with me and given me a lot more empathy for Graham and for these kiddos who they may want with all their hearts and minds to do this, but yeah. they just can't. So tell us more about how you build that bridge to equip them to succeed in feeding. Well, what we have to remember is that we don't want to bribe our kids. We don't want to give them rewards. We don't want to bargain so with them. So hard not to do. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so hard. Uh, yes. You know, you that iPad is really motivating. <laughs> if you will eat this today, if you eat this, then you can have this. I mean, that's not how we get our kids to eat with this. We don't threaten or punish them. Something yeah, that no we want punishing. to do is expose them to the foods on a regular basis. One thing okay. that Lauren and I have learned is that you always provide what we call a safe food mm, for okay. our kids. At every meal, there should be a safe food, that food that is not necessarily a preferred food, but a safe food, a food you know your child is going to eat mm-hmm. so that they at least have something that they're mm-hmm. going to put on their plates. Um, offering um, a mealtime event. So the family meal is very important for these kids okay. and helping them learn. Being able to, um, if you have friends, kids over, their, their friends over, the, your child's okay. friends over, that you can provide both of them healthy snacks so that uh-huh. they're modeling. Their friend is eating a healthy snack okay. and they're modeling for your child. So that's child. what you're accomplishing in the food school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of good peer modeling that happens. I have a great story, and then I want to talk more about exposure because it's it. that's, I feel like, a really key thing that – and then if you keep that in mind and a way to help your kids learn to eat. But Graham, he sat in, he was in a yellow class when uh, he first started being in a classroom at Little Lighthouse. And I had been trying to get this kid to eat chicken nuggets. I tell you, I mean, for six months at least. Yeah. And I, I would present them to him. I'd put them on his plate at mealtime. i put them on my plate at mealtime. I would eat them. Uh-huh. You know, Graham, yum. I'd, <laughs> be modeling it for him, which is another huge thing that, you know, that's a parent's job. A parent's job Mm -hmm. is to model and show their kids how to eat. Um, And that's how one way that our kiddos are going to learn. So anyway, I'd been trying to get Graham to eat chicken nuggets. I'd been trying everything I knew. I'd got, you know, the fun, cute dino ones. I got the oval ones. I'd cut them into shapes. I, you know, I'd put them on a fun plate. I would do all these things. And this, he would not eat a chicken nugget. And I thought, what kiddo does not like chicken nuggets? And so anyway, needless to say, we were trying really hard everything we knew. And this was before uh, Rhonda and I were both um, trained in an approach called SOS, um, sequential oral sensory uh, feeding therapy. So this was prior to that, really prior to my interest in feeding. So I go into lunch or yellow class one day um, at lunchtime and uh, I'm sitting kind of next to uh, a little girl uh, that Graham was great friends with in mm-hmm. there um, and and kind of behind Graham. And he said, he looked back at me when he realized I was there and he said, Mom, I want one of Emmy's chickens. And this is one of my favorite <sighs> stories to tell. And I, I was like, okay. So really quickly, <laughs> I took a chicken and put it on Graham's plate and, <laughs> and he ate it up. And then he said, Mom. 
I want another one of Emery's chicken. So I'm I'm grabbing it and putting it on his plate and I'm simultaneously texting her mom saying, I am so sorry. I owe you chicken nuggets, but Graham is eating them. And he had sat next to her for six months and watched her eat them wow. every single day. And enjoy them. And and enjoy them. Yeah. And he decided he wanted them. And so wow. we made it happen. And Emery's mom forgave me. You know, I asked for forgiveness <laughs> later. Um, and wow. she, and anyway, sure it's one of my favorite, it was one of my favorite stories. And uh, that's something so cool about the lighthouse too. Just yeah. that, you know, this peer modeling goes both ways. So if parents are looking for feeding therapy, would you recommend that they look for someone who has SOS credentialing? I think it's, I think it's really helpful. Yeah. I, you know, we both went through the training. It's a four day training for the basic training. Wow. Um, I know I flew to Denver to to do it and I learned, I mean, my mind was just opened, you know, and blown and I was just so thankful to receive all the information and we've both been able to really implement that at Little Lighthouse and we've seen some great, great progress through food school, um, and through, you know, being able to kind of help our teachers, mm-hmm. you know, help these kids as well um, because of the training we have. So, yeah, we are big proponents of SOS um, feeding approach big time. I mean, it's changed Graham's life and mine. So Wonderful. Well, I know you guys have so much to share. This is a huge issue. I feel like this has been a great introduction. If you were to summarize a few takeaway points for our parents who are listening— how would you encourage them to uh, identify what their children's needs are and then to intervene if that's necessary? I think as a parent, you need to remember that kids can be picky eaters. They can go on food jags, but just always don't don't go into that. Don't be so afraid mm-hmm. that if your child isn't eating that you have to give him his preferred food, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. our kids who are picky eaters— are probably going to eat when they're hungry. Okay. It's the children that have problem feeding that may not. Mm-hmm. You still want to um, always provide a safe food, whatever that might look like. When we have food school, we always start with something that all of the kids like mm-hmm. or, or can tolerate so mm-hmm. that we have a safe food. And um, don't make it a battle. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, because they're going to win. <laughs> Yes, they they'll, will. They'll win that. And um, and I, I really do. I love that because I think our kids so pick up on our, our stress. Mm-hmm. And that's a really quick way to shut off your kids' hunger. Um, they're going to go into that fight or flight mode and their adrenaline is going to shut off their hunger drive. And so I feel like the the – and it's hard. It's easier said than done. But I have seen it so clearly in these last couple months of, you know, our, our whole world has kind of slowed down a little bit with mm-hmm. this pandemic or a lot bit with this pandemic. And I've seen so much of Graham's progress and growth in these last three months mm-hmm. because I am less stressed. Mm-hmm. I am less in a hurry. I am putting less of that on him and mm-hmm. allowing him to take the time he needs and go through the sne- steps, however However he, however long he needs to take with each step, and he has his eating has I would say 
it, we've made the most growth in these three months than we've made in four years. Mm. And so I just think it's so much easier said than done. I get it. I'm a parent. I, you know, work full time. I have two other kids and, you know, I have places to go and things to do. And I can't always spend an hour with Graham, you know, trying to get him to eat a bite of hamburger. Mm-hmm. But I can, you know, take the pressure off myself and take the pressure off him and allow him to learn about it while providing something that I know he's going to eat. And, you know, encouraging him along the way, not with bribes and not with, you know, things like that, but um, with my words Mm -hmm. and my body language and, you know, um, just affirming him and maybe not even affirming him like, you know, because he took a bite, but hey, Graham, I love how you let that sit on your plate. I love how you learned about that by putting your finger on it. I love how you picked that up with your fork. You know, mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you making know, making it fun is make, very important. Yeah, you don't want the best part. You don't want to give a kid, you know, your kid um, uh, just a huge bowl full of vegetables and expect them to eat it. You know, yeah. make the broccolis look like trees, and you know, play. Yeah. You know, I am a huge proponent of playing with your food, you know, uh, it, that's how we learn. And, and, you know, a lot of our kids, you know, developmentally, that's where they are. And so have fun, you mm-hmm. know, try to take the stress out of mealtime um, yes. and, you know, follow your kiddos lead as much as possible um, and affirm them for the work that they're putting in because eating is work. Um, Mm -hmm. it takes your whole body. It takes, it's the hardest thing truly that a human is going to do on this Mm -hmm. earth is eating, not, not breathing, you know, eating is the hardest thing that a human has to do because we have to coordinate so many things and our body has Mm -hmm. to be ready and we have to be in the perfect position. And we, you know, do have to be breathing. We have to be doing all of these things Mm -hmm. and to coordinate it all is hard. So think of our kiddos wow. who are, you know, have all these other things working against them. It's it's not an easy task to do. Hmm. So good. I love the reminder to have fun, keep it relational, mm-hmm. give it time. Yeah. It's all important. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I'd love as we wrap up to know from you, what does it mean to help kids be kids? I think for me, you know, just, and that's what I've really learned these last three months, just enjoying your child, letting them enjoy you and just pausing, taking, taking time to let your child, you know, show you the world through their eyes um, because you're going to be so blessed by by, you know, watching your kiddo, um, you know, explore and learn about this world, whether it's through their foods, whether it's through um, play. um, And just really, I've, it's been so beneficial to me to not have these expectations of my kids and to just allow them to be the beautiful, like, image bearers of God that they are um, and to, to just support and encourage and cheer them on in that way. So, so good. Rhonda, would you like to add anything to that? No, I I would just say that offering as many play opportunities as you can. When your child comes to you and says, hey, will you play with me? Will you do this with me? Jump right in there and do it. 
because those mm. are really important times to teach for your child to learn is the play. Mm. And they're fleeting. I'm I'm sure, you know, that your kiddo's not always going to come up to you. And you have, Rhonda has older kids, oh, yeah. and say, Mom, will you play with me when they're 21? No. So they don't do that yeah. very often. So, so when they do, I, I will be playing. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Thank you both so much for sharing from your expertise and your personal experience with us today. We'll have to come, have you come back yeah. and go more in depth we into this. We could do a lot more of these. On Later on, on we'll be in touch about that. But um, also thank you for tuning in today and joining us to overhear our conversation about feeding. I hope that you've been encouraged and empowered. If you would like to know more, please visit our website, www.littlelighthouse.org. We'll see you next time.